Thanks for downloading this message from Devoted 2015, a Christ Central festival for all the family. Christ Central is part of New Frontiers, and our distinctives are made up of four priorities. Being friends, enjoying God together, building churches empowered by word and spirit, advancing the kingdom, transforming the world, and reaching nations, making disciples. Devoted is just one event, but you can find out more about Christ Central and other training opportunities at ChristCentralChurches.org. For more about Devoted, please visit DevotedEvent.org. Thanks for listening. See you next year. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Thank you. Yes, uh, um, our wedding anniversary, actually it was on a Saturday, and it was a beautiful sunny day. And uh, actually the friends from Sheffield will perhaps remember this. Uh, I used to be uh, at Bible College sharing a room with Arnold Bell. He was a dear friend of mine, and uh, Arnold, who used to lead the Sheffield Church. And uh, we were together then. He, as we got nearer to uh, the wedding, he used to say things like this to me. Um, where are we going on your honeymoon? And Because uh, we'd been together for like two years in this study, this office, this uh, college. And uh, I said, Arnold, we are not going anywhere on my honeymoon. And this was a, a regular joke we had. And then on my way to the church on the s- Saturday morning, the car I had borrowed broke down uh, on the motorway. And I pulled off at the Watford Gap. There was some panicky phone calls. And uh, Wendy's father came rushing down the motorway and picked us up, me, my best man, and so on. We, we rushed up. We just got there in time for the actual service, which was good news. And then as we went through uh, afterwards, the reception, you kind of got to the wedding, and you, uh, oh, what do we do now? We haven't got a car. Uh, the car was back down at the Watford Gap. Um, uh, what should we do? And then Arnold said, actually, I know a farmer uh, near here. We were in Leicester, uh, where Wendy's family lived at the time. And uh, uh, he said, I know a farmer who's got a cottage that he sometimes lets out. So he made a phone call. And sure enough, the guy said, yes, yeah, available. And actually, we'd even wondered about having a cottage honeymoon. Anyway, he said, yes, yeah, okay, we've got it. We've got it. So Arnold, he, he had his car. He knew where it was going. And as Wendy and I crowded into the back of his, his car, he looked over his shoulder and said, as I was saying, we're going on <laughs> your honeymoon together. Happy memories. God's wonderful goodness to us. Such a joy. I wonder if you've been aware, certainly some of us have been aware that in the last few weeks, the date has come round that has celebrated 150 years since Hudson Taylor made his memorable walk up and down Brighton Beach, where as a missionary who'd already been to China in his early 20s, he first went up to China, his very early 20s, amazing young man, and uh, he, he had been there, but all the missions were on the, on the coast. No one had invaded inland China, and he had this passion to go to inland China. Uh, and the missionary society he was working with didn't really want to do that. He was somewhat frustrated with the society he was with. He was not happy with the way some of the things were happening, finance and other things, and he felt to withdraw. And then he was in a service in, in church in Brighton, and he said in his diary, and at least you can read about it in his book, that he couldn't stand anymore being in with, he says, a thousand worshippers 
And, and he left the meeting while people were worshipping because he was aware of the millions of people in China who'd never heard of Jesus. Uh, and he walked up and down on Brighton Beach and he's wrestling with God and crying to God. Did he have the courage to go inland and pioneer something completely new? And as he walked up and down and wrestled with God about it, he felt God gave him faith. He said, yeah, I will do this. Just this young guy, by this time he was 33. At the age of 33, he said, I will go. I will do it. And I will encourage others to come with me. And, and he made a, made a vow to God. He made a commitment to this with God on the beach in Brighton. And the next day he went to a, a bank, I think in London, and opened an account, the China Inland Mission. And uh, he believed God for 24 missionaries to go with him that he got. And ultimately hundreds and indeed thousands went behind him. And that missionary zeal, that sense of let's go, I believe is coming right through into our hearts more and more. On that very date, actually, my son Joel, who leads the Brighton Church, gathered a group of young guys from the church and they went down onto that part of the beach and they prayed together that morning. And Hudson Taylor the fourth, sort of great, 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 great grandson of Hudson Taylor, came down and spoke on the beach. I've seen a little video. He stood on the beach and celebrated this reality that one young guy in faith said, I'm going to do this. As a result of which now millions, millions of uh, Chinese have put their trust in Jesus. He pioneered away. And I do believe, as I've been here in the meeting and just seeing people come up on the platform, hear Jeremy and others speak about your plans, 20 churches in this country by 2020. Others saying, this is the team that's going across to Scandinavia. We're the ones that believe in God for, for church planting in Zambia. And, and more and more in our hearts, there's something more than just having fun, charismatic times. There's a new pioneering thing happening in our hearts. I had the privilege myself of being in Stockholm uh, two years ago, I think it was, and I met guys from Latvia uh, 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 and from Helsinki and from Estonia and just young couples who came together. I thought, wow, these guys, there's such courage. There's such a pioneering spirit that you can read about in those 19th century missionaries. They just got up and went. And Jeremy reminded us about that arrow picture that God gave us, the pulling back of the bow right across the country, the intention not only to evangelize the UK, but to raise up resources who would go on world mission. And we're really in that phase now. I used to be embarrassed at the Downs Bible Week when people asked me in the early days, uh, do you do anything on mission? And I remember I answered for several years, not yet, but it will come. And that was before I had the vision of the pullback bow. But God is doing it, and we're right in that now. We're right in that season of let's go. Whether it's into the next town, near to where you live, or whether it's across the nations. And probably the most historic of those missionaries, in fact, the one who's called the father of modern mission, his name was William Carey. And he has a very famous statement associated with him. This was his kind of motto at a time when people were very reluctant to go. He felt a passion to go 
on world mission. He used to look at world maps. He used to look at uh, the, the, the travel of, of Cook, that famous explorer who went down to Australia and New Zealand. He used to pour over maps, and he got a real stirring in his heart. He wanted to go on mission. And actually, the church people in those days said, sit down, Mr. Carey. If he wants to evangelize the world, God will do it. And Kerry said, no, no, I, I feel stirred to do this. And he said, I want, I'm expecting great things from God. I'm going to attempt great things for God. And he went to India as the father of modern missions. I love that statement. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. I sometimes look up a thesaurus to try and give some color to words. So I looked up the word attempt, and I looked up the word expect. And this is what I found in the thesaurus. First of all, attempt. It says, attempt implies action in a context of uncertainty. Action in a context, it's like it's not all obvious. It wasn't very obvious for Hudson Taylor walking up and down that beach. Attempt, attempt. Action in a context of uncertainty. It says this, trial, Endeavor, aim, venture, adventure, speculate, experiment, take a risk, try your luck. All right, so Terry Virgo this morning is going to preach on try your luck. Okay. <laughs> Our songs are more religious, uh, more biblical than me. <laughs> try your luck. Okay, then the, then the word expect. Here, this is what it says in the thesaurus. Anticipate, reckon calculate, keep a sharp lookout for, prepare for, count on, keep a sharp lookout. We're going, where's where's God? God said he'd be with us. We're not just going on our own. We're, We're expecting something to happen. Keep a lookout. Expect God. God could come in. God could, in, God could stand with us suddenly. We're attempting. We're not quite sure, but we're going with God. I really feel God wants me to wind up this tremendous few days away with us, this kind of attitude of mind. And when I think of that, I think, Lord, I mean, I must confess I came this way long. I thought, Lord, what, what Bible story has that about it? Is there a Bible story that carries that theme? And I found myself turning to 1 Samuel and chapter 14, a very famous story, but I think it really sums it up. 1 Samuel 14, we find that Saul, who had known a real charismatic beginning, all right? He's probably the saddest guy in the Scriptures in many ways. He started humble. He started selected by God. He started with terrific anointing. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He started with a great victory. You think, wow, this looks like the real thing. And then sadly, it wasn't the real thing. His roots were very shallow. It became apparent as things went on. And after a season, the Philistines, instead of running away, turned and started to fight back. And the Philistines were now in the ascendancy, and Saul's army was getting smaller and smaller, and people were leaving Saul's armor, and things looked really, really bad. And then we read about Saul's son, Jonathan. And it says in 1 Samuel 14, Now the day came that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine garrison that's on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. 
And Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people who were with him were about 600 men. Then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come, let's cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us. For the Lord hasn't, isn't restrained to save by many or by few. His armor bearer said to him, Do all that's in your heart. Turn yourself. And here I am with you according to your desire. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we'll cross over to them and let them see us. If they said to us, Wait until we come down to you, then we'll stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we'll go up. For the Lord has given them into our hands. And this should be the sign for us. When both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, the Philistines said, Behold, Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they've hidden themselves. So the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us. We'll tell you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me. The Lord's given them into the hands of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet with his armor bearer behind him and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer. He put some to death after him. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was 20 men, about half a furrow in an acre of land. And there was a trembling in the camp, in the field, among all the people. Even the garrison and the raiders trembled, and the earth quaked, so that it became a great trembling. Now Saul's watchman at Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away and went here and there. And Solomon said to the people, Saul said to the people who were with him, Number now, see who's gone from us. When they numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God was at that time with the sons of Israel. And while Saul talked with the priests, the commotion in the camp of the Philistines continued and increased. So Saul said to the priest, Oh, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow. There was great confusion. Now the Hebrews who were with the Philistines previously, who went up with them all around the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites, who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the men of Israel, who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim, heard that the Philistines had fled, even they pursued them closely in the battle. So the Lord delivered Israel that day, and the battle spread beyond Beth-Avon. Father, please speak to us from this scripture. Come, Holy Spirit, rest upon us, teach us, inspire us, motivate us. Let your word come and do us good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we find that the Israelites are being held down. Some are leaving, some are fleeing, some are hiding in caves. Some had even gone over to the Philistines. Saul is in retreat. 
But unlike Joshua, Joshua knew what it was to lose a battle. Joshua, we're told, after Jericho came to Ai, he got very presumptuous. He thought, if we can take Jericho, we can sure take Ai. And they didn't. They lost. And they had to run for their lives. But you'll find Joshua sought God immediately. Lord, why did we lose? What's going on? And God explained to him. And he got up and went and beat Ai. He, when he hit problems, he sought God. Similar, you'll find with David, when David knew a terrible defeat at Ziklag, it says he sought the Lord. Lord, what's this about? And God encouraged him. He encouraged himself in God. He got renewed in God, and they had a tremendous victory. And all that seemed lost was won again. And so setbacks are part. Hey, if you've been a church planter, you know setbacks are part. You know those things happen. You, you get someone who thinks gonna, you're going to be with. Oh, they're with us. Tremendous couple. And they say, actually, we feel we're moving on. You're moving on? Yeah, we don't really. And he's, oh, you get lots of setbacks. Not easy. There are battles and difficulties. But with Saul, oh, dear, setbacks, setbacks. He just went into himself. David, Joshua, when they had setbacks, setbacks, they went to God. Lord, why is this happening? What's going on? And they got encouraged again. Here we find the culture is unbelief. The people of God are in unbelief. It's kind of corporate unbelief and people are bailing out and the army is getting smaller and smaller and yet in the midst of it, there's one guy. There's one guy like, like Hudson Taylor, like William Carey, a guy who sort of stands out against the tide. He stands out and, and, and begins to actually change the whole story. It's an amazing story we're looking at. We're looking at something where the outcome at the end is absolute triumph. And it starts with one guy who's refusing to let what seems to be the order of the day dominate his thinking. That's huge, beloved, because it's so easy to just think, well, it's terrible, it's difficult. The, the, The ground's slipping away from us. It's very hard. I mean, Scandinavia is a very hard country. It's very secular. I mean, Hey, oh, Holland, I mean, this is very difficult. Or other places, and everybody's saying, oh, it's a hard place. And you can either take that on board and say, that's the bottom line then. It's a hard place. Oh, well, let's not bother then. Or you can be like Jonathan, who's pressing through and say, wait a minute. There's some things we need to bear in mind. There's some things we need to allow to captivate us. And in that sense, Jonathan was not like his father. He had a different spirit, a different attitude of heart. And God is looking for those who tremble at his word, who don't just get shaped by what seems to be what other people think. You'll find that in the Apostle Paul. you find that, of course, in our great Lord Jesus. Hey, they don't just get shaped by those around. And so we find in Jonathan that he's, first of all, didn't forget who the Israelites were. Knowing your identity is so important. That the church of God is his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for works he prepared beforehand for us to do. And it's so important, dear brothers and sisters, that we recognize that. We're not just people who've decided to follow Jesus. We're having a go at Christianity. We thought we might be religious for a while. It didn't start in us. It's his initiative. It's his purpose. It's actually his battle. And Jonathan remembered that. Jonathan remembered, we serve a God of action. We look as though we're closed in, but God's character has not changed. God's ability has not changed. And the problems 
Don't make me see God in a miniature kind of way. We have to always cultivate our own personal relationship with Jesus. That's why we're in the Bible. We're not in the Bible to say, oh Lord, listen, I I read a whole chapter. It's impressive, isn't it? Do I earn points for that? We don't do it that way. We feed our hearts on the scripture to know what kind of God we're serving. And Saul is in terror and fear, and Jonathan knows the God that he serves. And that's shaping his whole attitude. God is with us. God is a God of action. And you'll find that when in Numbers 14, the Israelites first come to the promised land, and they're not going into the promised land because, well, it says they looked, and there are giants in the land. And the cities are walled up to heaven. And they came back and said, wow, this is impossible. We're like grasshoppers. I mean, they're giants. We haven't got a hope. And you'll find what God says is so incredible. God says, how long will this people spurn me? How long will these people despise me? That was God's perspective on his people when they said, wow, look at those giants. Look at the size of these cities. I mean, it's so secular. It's so difficult. There's such unbelief. How... God says, how long are they going to despise me? I can imagine them saying, oh no, we're not saying anything about you, Lord. It's these walled cities. I mean, it's these giants. I mean, look at these terrible... God said, you are spurning me. He took it personally. I said, go in. I said, I'll be with you. The fact that it looks tough makes no difference at all. You need to know the greatness of your God. And Jonathan in the midst of an unbelieving generation, kept his eye on a God who would not be static. He understood what God was like. The people who know their God are strong and do exploits. We need to know God. We need to cultivate our conscious awareness of how great he is. Otherwise, we'll be shaped by the mode of the people who are saying, it's difficult these days. It's difficult these days. Yeah, it is difficult. It's been difficult all along. But God is unchanging. Also, he had a plan. His plan was to take the land. See, Jonathan remembered, I I didn't arrive here by my own idea. God said, I've set the land before you, take it. They weren't in the land because they chose it. They were in it because God chose it. And God chose that he would give them territory. And and God said to his son, ask me, I'll give you the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. That's the, the covenant promise that is behind everything we're doing here. God has promised his son. He said, today I've begotten you. Today I've brought you forth. It's a kind of resurrection verse in the book of Acts. Today I've raised you up. Ask me, I'll give you the nations. And Jesus said to his disciples, all authority has been given to me. Now go. And Jonathan understood, no, no, we're not here by our choice. God brought us here. God's not abandoned us. That's why we're here. So there are difficulties. But whereas for Saul, the difficulties just overwhelmed him, Jonathan said, no, 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 the land, we're supposed to take the land. We're supposed to take the land. We're supposed to press into it. You find that Paul needed encouragement. It said that Paul came to Corinth which was a very ungodly city, famously ungodly. And it said Paul was scared before he went into the land. And he's just there, and it's like he's with God. And God, Jesus came to him in the night and said, Paul, don't be scared. I've got many people in this city. 
I mean, Paul could have said, how do you mean you've got many people? I haven't even started preaching yet. I mean, who knows? No, Jesus said, listen, Paul, don't be scared. I have many people in this city. No, he didn't tell Paul they're going to be those troublesome Corinthians, but he said, they're my church. I'm, I'm ahead. I know what I'm doing. And we have to be persuaded by these things, dear friends. Church planting is not just a fun hobby. It's a battle. And you fight by being persuaded by what God says he's going to do, he's going to do. And we lay hold of him, we believe him. And also, notice this, Jonathan remembered who the Philistines were. Did you notice when I read the passage out to you, he says about these uncircumcised. He said, let's go against these uncircumcised. You think, where have I heard that before? The uncircumcised. Rings a bell? Oh, yeah. Isn't that what David said? When Goliath's strutting around, terrifying the Israelites, and and David turns up and says, who's this uncircumcised Philistine? I I can imagine them saying, he may be uncircumcised, but look at the size of the guy. He's a monster. He's a giant. And David said, no, no, he's uncircumcised. What does that mean? It means God isn't with him. He's not in covenant relationship with God. He's defenseless. This arrogant little teenager... He's defenseless. God's not with him. He looks pretty scary to me. No, 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 he's uncircumcised. God's not with him. God's not with him. And that's what, see, no wonder David and Jonathan were such good friends. He's got that same perspective. Hey, they're defenseless, actually. These uncircumcised guys, they may be outnumbering us. They may be on the high land and we've got to climb up to them. That's dangerous militarily. They're in a better place, but they're uncircumcised. We've got God with us. And that sort of attitude, dear friends, has to penetrate our thoughts. That kind of attitude has to grip our hearts. We say, no, no, God's with us. God's with us. I remember we were in Brighton and we were going for a big building. We felt God had led us to it. And actually, when we made an informal inquiry, they said, yeah, you can probably go for that. You can uh, buy that. We wanted a church center. And uh, having, having told us we could do that, we brought it to the church. We took up a great offering. The saints were really behind it. It was wonderful. Then we made our formal application, and they turned us down flat. They gave us a 100% refusal. The whole council said, no, no, no. And then actually on local television, not national television, you know local television, it's different, isn't it? You've got national television, then you get local television, like cat caught in tree, you know, that big stuff. Uh, and, uh, and the local television, they, they came to me and they put the camera in my face and said, so Mr. Virgo, looks like you haven't got it. What are you going to say? And I just found a bubble of faith came up and out of my mouth and I said, we shall have it. We shall have it. Actually happens, it's a true story. We shall have it. They said, no, 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 you can make an appeal. But they said, if it's 60-40%, you may be able to make through. But uh, if it's 70-30, don't bother. If it's 80-20, if it's 100%, an appeal is a waste of time. We said, no, we will make our appeal. And boy, did we pray. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed. We prayed for a Mr. Mumford, whom I never, ever met, but he was very prayed for. And we put in our appeal, and our appeal won the day. And the whole thing was reversed, 
and we took it. Beloved, you, you hit walls. You hit people say, impossible, can't do that here, won't happen here. And you're, oh, okay then. Or you say, no, no, we felt God told us. That's how it was here for New Day on the very first time, the very first day on this site for New Day. Wendy and I arrived, it was flooded. The police were here, the fire brigade were here, many children had been taken off camp because they said, look, look, we, our advice, we can't make you, our advice is close this camp. Uh, call the whole thing off. And we'd heard a prophecy from Phil Wilthew at our prayer and fasting days. New Day is going to turn around lives. It's going to overflow in international significance. God has spoken to us. And so we said to them, well, thank you for your advice, but we're not going. We're not going, we're staying. I mean, no, we would advise. We would strongly advise. I mean, this is, there's, there's the chief fire guys, the chief policeman. You know, many had to go off the site last night. You know, you should abandon this. We said, no, we're not going to abandon. And the great team that was here turned it around and God stayed, a new day keeps going. Hundreds have been saved. Hundreds have been healed. It keeps growing and going. Hallelujah. But beloved, we hit situations where people say, it's impossible. You can't do it. You must stop. Jonathan won the day. He kept believing God. And that's going to be, you have to find that in your hearts. In spite of setbacks, in spite of what we thought they were going to join us, they're not going to join us now. Is that the end then? No, no, God spoke to us to come here. God sent us here. God put this city on our hearts. We saw 21 names of cities up here the other day. Some of you are burning with that. Burning with that. Setbacks. That's, I'm afraid that's, that will come. Setbacks. But you have to go through. You have to eat them for breakfast. You have to go press through. Trust God. Trust God. Jonathan was attempting great things for God. And he remembered, actually, they look scary, they look more powerful than us, but actually, they're uncircumcised. God's not with them. God, God is not with them. God's with us. They're living God's with us. That's his perspective. Just one guy and his armor bearer. And then he remembered also, God is not limited by numbers. He said to his armor bearer, God can save by many or by few. God can save by few. Sometimes we're too many for God. That's the story of Gideon, isn't it? Thousands in an army. God says, no, it's too many, too many. Too many? And you know what happened in the story of Gideon. He cuts it right down to 300. God is not limited. God is, sometimes people say, you know, do you hear that, that verse quoted very sadly? It's a prayer meeting tonight. And, you know, and a handful turn up and you get, well, Lord, you did say where two or three are gathered. I, I, love, I love prayer meetings with two or three. They're tremendous. Prayer meetings with two or three are wonderful because you get such agreement, you get so unhearted. It's not, oh, dear, there's only two or three. Shall we cancel? No! God's here. God's with us. Let's see what we can do in God. And Jonathan understood that, said to his armor bearer, how, how about us going against that and then this lovely word perhaps that's an exciting word isn't it perhaps that sounds scary but he doesn't leave his perhaps at home he takes his perhaps into the battle perhaps the Lord perhaps the Lord and that's how they go forward they go forward attempting they go forward uncertain they began to see what God might do 
Now, sometimes we feel we're shut in. And, and, and beloved, it's not only for churches. You can feel that individually. You can sometimes feel, I don't know, I just feel I've hit a wall. I've hit a ceiling. I, I, I don't know, I'm not making much advance. I look back to a year back and I'm not really doing so well. And we can feel it about ourselves, that we're not making a lot of progress at the moment. But the Bible says wonderful things. It says this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. What a promise that is. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's what he's, Paul says that to the Philippians. Now it's interesting when you think what he said. He who began a good work. Well, let's think of the history. What happened at Philippi? Well, Paul wants to go this way and the Holy Spirit says no. He wants to go another way. The Holy Spirit says no. Then he gets a vision. Come over to Macedonia. Oh, he wasn't even thinking of going there. He who began the work. Come over to Macedonia. Oh, it's God who wants us here. He goes. Lydia's heart is open. The Lord opens Lydia's heart. God did it. Then a girl's delivered from demons. Then Paul's in prison. Then there's an earthquake and a breakout. The jailer gets saved. His whole house gets saved. The church gets started. I think we could say God began that work. He who began it will bring it to completion. It's God's initiative. It's God's initiative. Wherever we've got to, we got here because God brought us here. God's initiative. And Paul says this, work out your salvation, for God is at work in you. He says that to the Philippians. God did this thing. You're a a God product. If God brought you this far, he can take you through. Don't think, oh, I've hit the ceiling. You may have had a dull moment. Hey, he can take you through. As we've been hearing, God can blow your sail again. Let's believe him for that, because we are his product. Jonathan had that attitude That was how he was. He didn't allow himself to get stuck down. Okay, so he expected God. So let's see what happened. He attempted, right? Attempt. Attempt great things. We're expecting what God might, the Lord might. The Lord's not limited. They're uncircumcised. I mean, he's building up the Lord might. Now he's going to attempt. He's going to do something. Let's notice, dear friends, that Prayer is not a substitute for action. I believe in prayer with all my heart. I've loved being at these prayer meetings in the early part of the day here. It's wonderful to be in the prayer meeting. I believe it. But prayer is not a hiding place from getting stuck in. In the book of Acts, every prayer meeting is mixed with action. Praying is not, oh God, you do something, please do something. The situation is so difficult, please do something. Shall we come next week? Let's come next week. Lord, you please do something, do something. See, God said to Joshua, when the feet of the priests hit the water, it'll open. I think, I mean, if I was Joshua, I'd say, Lord, open the river, open the river. Lord, open the river. Let's have another prayer meeting, open the river. God said, no, 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 put your foot in it. Walk into it. We have to have this about us, dear friends. Prayer is not a hiding place from people who don't like action. It's not a super spiritual context where we say, oh God, will you please do something? In the book of Acts, every prayer meeting, the day of Pentecost, they pray, heaven opens, they're in the streets. Then we find, hey, you're not allowed to preach anymore in this name. You're in trouble. What do they do? They pray. Oh God, grant us boldness. The spirit falls, the building shakes, they're out there again. 
Hey, Peter's in prison. What do we do? We better pray. They pray. The prison door opens. Hey, every prayer meeting, it's an action situation. It's not an alternative. It's not, well, let's pray. You know, the situation is so hard. No, no. You pray and you speak. You pray and you go. You pray and you work. So here, he's trusting God. He's going to attempt. He's going to step out. He refused to get locked in. He wouldn't take it. No, no, I'm not going to get locked in. I remember when we were first starting what we now call New Frontiers, I guess. We're a handful of churches in Sussex. And every month on a Monday night, I used to hire the Hove Town Hall. And uh, it grew in hundreds. And in the end, it was a 1,300-seater. And we were gathering nearly 1,000. We thought, wow, something's happening here. Because, to be honest, we had a little church here of just a handful. There's 14 in Don's home. There's Jeremy over there. <laughs> There's people here. Just handful, handful, handful. Then once a month, let's all come together. And let's get strengthened. Let's get exposed to gospel preaching and, and prophetic teaching. And we come together and the worship. Wow, it was quite good. Not like this, actually, but quite good. A pastor came to see me from a town called Worthing. He came to see me. He said, can I see you? Yes, of course. Can you see me? He said, I said, yeah, what, what, what are we meeting about? I want you to stop those meetings. I said, oh, sorry, why, why is that? He said, some of my young people are coming. I said, okay. And he said, and you know, he said, they love it. But he said, church could never be like that. Church could never be like that. For myself, I was disappointed. It wasn't as good as I knew God wanted it to be. But he said, come on, let's just face it. Church could never be like that. Let's settle. Don't excite them. Don't inspire them to believe for more. This is literally what this pastor said to me. You know church could never be like that. And now, praise God, in town after town after town, there are churches just like that. There are churches, but people say, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it. We've been through that. He wouldn't allow himself to get held down. He took action. He took action. Next thing you notice is this. He risked what he had. What do I mean? Well, actually, if you read the previous chapter, which we didn't bother with, in chapter 13, verse 22, it says this, Only Saul and Jonathan had swords. The Philistines were so powerful that the, the blacksmiths were put out of business. Because they just, and, and you've got to remember, these people fought with swords. And, and, and it says in the text, there were only two swords. So Saul's got one, and Jonathan's got one. What an army. Two swords in the place. And Jonathan's got one of the swords. And Jonathan says to his armor bearer, hey, shall we go? But Saul, so, Jonathan. You've only got only two swords. Be careful. You know, you'd better hide it. What do you, what do, you do with this? When there's only two swords, what do you do with the one you've got? Well, you hide it, don't you? Keep it safe. Keep it out of trouble. I mean, you could lose it. You could lose it. You could have it stolen. Jonathan said, no, no, actually, swords are for sticking into Philistines. <laughs> See, sometimes we, we're very cautious. Sometimes, you know, because you've worked well, in the office, you've got a good reputation. You do a good job. People speak well of you. But sometimes we think, well, I, <laughs> I won't say I'm a Christian yet. 
I won't say I'm a Christian because, well, I could throw away my reputation. I could risk, I could risk my reputation. They think I'm a good worker. They're, 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 yeah, impressed. But if I say, but I'm a Christian, I could lose my reputation. That's dangerous. But beloved, your reputation is what endorses your testimony. It's the fact you do a good job. It's the fact that you are a godly mother. It's the fact that, yeah, hey, you're raising a good family. And when we're all together, with, hey, what is it about your kids? What is it about you? Oh, I don't want to think I'm funny. I don't want to think I'm religious. And we think, oh, I better not risk losing my sword. My sword was meant to be taken into the battle. If God's given you a good reputation, let it speak for you. Don't hide it. And Jonathan risked. He said, hey, I know I've only got one of the only two swords. I'm going to put it into the battle. Are you putting into the battle what you've got? I'm so impressed with Krish Kandia when he was with us. You think, man, that guy's just got into the battle. And this whole thing of adoption and fostering, he's got right into He's such an impressive brother. He's gone right into the battle. And he said, yeah, I'm a believer. He's... He, oh, Men are taking great courageous steps these days. Let's go. Let's use what we've got. Let's not hide it. Let's take the risk. Then you get this conversation, and it says, it says the armor bearer says to him, do what is in your heart. That's a fascinating phrase, isn't it? Do what's in your heart. And I think sometimes we're, again, ultra-cautious, especially if you're English. It's kind of a tendency with us. We tend to be cautious people. We're not known to be extraordinarily carefree. That's not what's thought of as an English culture. And, and we tend not to trust our heart. You might, and in fact, you can get things like this. You think, I feel like, oh, no, it's probably just me. Even you can have a prophetic word. Oh, I think it's just me. Even maybe a word of knowledge about a sickness. And, oh, it's probably just me. And we tend to do that. We tend to hold back. And Jonathan, is, the armor bearer is saying, look, do... What's in your heart? Begin to trust your heart some more. Now, sometimes we've got a verse. And I remember I was in the States, actually, with a guy, and he tended to be very depressed as an elder. I mean, he was very, just to walk into his room was to feel the cloud. He wasn't fun to be around. And he sat in a desk, and on the wall opposite his desk, he had this wonderful, famous text. It said this, My ways are not your ways. And my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. So he's working at his desk. Oh, I think I'll... Oh, no, my thoughts are not... I think I'll... Oh, no, his thoughts are not my thoughts. So he let, this verse, which is supposed to lift you, every new thought, oh, no, it's probably it's just my idea. Oh, forget that. Oh, that, no, it's probably my idea. And I've actually heard people say, I was going to do it, but it's probably my idea anyway. We're almost disposed to think that. We're almost disposed to think that. Whereas the Bible says this, you have the mind of Christ. Wow. He who searches the depths of God reveals it to us. When we're in the Spirit, we must learn to trust more those spontaneous initiatives, those, hey, speak to her now. You know, maybe on the bus, maybe at the school gate, I thought, oh, it's probably just me. No, hey, come on. Do what's in your heart more. We need to do it more. See, God's chosen the weak things. He's chosen the foolish things. And if we're not careful, we think, oh, I'm so silly. I'm no, God chose weak people 
that will lean into him and take risks with him. So that his power can break through in spite of our weakness. We tap into another energy. We tap into the power of God. We, we tap into the God moment. Paul says in Ephesians, take every opportunity. It's being responsive. Now notice he's not, he's not just a loner. He speaks to his, his, his armor bearer. What do you think? You know, it's good to check out sometimes when, you, when it's appropriate. But check out with a man of faith. You know, you, people who want to get around you, it's good to have some people of faith around you. Otherwise, you check out, well, no, don't do that. Oh, okay. No, we need, we, I mean, if, if Jonathan was courageous because he's got the only sword, what can we say about his armor bearer? What's he got? Nothing. Let's go out and fight. Oh, yeah, ooh, oh, yeah, let's go. He hasn't got a thing. I mean, what a, he's a great guy, this armor bearer. Let's go and fight. Oh, right, let's go. Um, yeah, 20 of them up. Okay, Jonathan, I'm with you. Wow, what a man. What a man. I guess Jonathan took the first one out. Here, has a sword. That was, oh, good, thank you, I got a sword now. <laughs> the guy went with nothing. He went with nothing. Isn't the Bible full of that? What have we got? Oh, just a few loaves and fishes. Beloved, we go with nothing into so many situations. And we look to God. Otherwise, we, we never get into this dimension of faith. We never get into this dimension where God steps in. Because we just play safe. We're just wise. We're just conservative. And we, so we never break out to this dimension where suddenly, hey, I love, I love it where, where, where Peter says, hey, Lord, you better send all these people away. They're starving. They've been with us three days and nights. You better send them away. And Jesus says to Peter, what have you got? A few loaves and fishes. Bring them to me. Huh? Prays, blesses, breaks. Right, you feed them. Feed them. Feed them. I can imagine, can't you? He goes, uh, okay, there's a bit for you. There's a bit for you. There's a bit for you. Hey, wait a minute. What's happening? What, what is happening? What is happening? What, what, what is happening here? What is, have, you, have you ever been in? What do you think? What is God doing here? We were just so small. We were one little church. One little group. Just a dozen of us in a home. What's God doing here? See, beloved, that's our calling, to step into God's world. It's like Simon Peter saw Jesus walking on the water. He said, if it's you, tell me to come to you. That's a smart guy. He didn't just jump over. If it's you, tell me. Jesus said, come. And when Jesus said, come, he could step into another world. Beloved, he stepped into another world. He, spe- he stepped into Jesus' world. Now, we know that the silly guy started looking at the wind and the waves, but he got out as far as where Jesus was. He got right out there. And Jesus didn't say to him, well, Peter, I'm really proud of you. The others didn't even risk it. And walking on water is a bit difficult, isn't it? You don't want to put your foot down. It's the- <laughs> he doesn't say that. He says, Peter, you little faith. Jesus is having a bad day. No, no, Jesus had no bad days. He just spoke truth. 
you little faith. You could have stepped into my world with me. You could step into my world. He writes later in Second Peter chapter 1, by the great and precious promises, we're partakers of the divine nature. We're no longer subject to this downward pull. We've escaped the corruption that's in the world. He began to learn to live in a new kind of way. He began to learn. He began to learn how to break through, how to win the battle. Sometimes, how do I do this? I remember when I thought, how do I give up smoking? I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for some years, very backslidden. Then I had the expression I I meant to last night. I really came to God. I I want to stop smoking. It's not the biggest thing in the world, but I wanted to stop it. I thought, how can I? It's just dogging me. And I remember thinking, how do I do this? Now, finally, I found my disgusting language dropped just like that, stopped overnight. Just stopped. I thought, oh, wow, that's amazing. Just fell. Smoking, I had to fight with. So I thought, well, my first, I can't imagine coffee at mid-morning without a cigarette. I can't even imagine it. So I want to win this battle. So I stopped having coffee in the morning. Because I couldn't imagine the coffee without the cigarette. So I thought, I'm, I'm going to fight this thing. And I stopped. And I pushed my first cigarette later and later into the day. Until in the end, I was having just five a day. And then I thought, hey, if I can live on just five a day, I can live with none. It took me a little while. And I, I stopped it. And actually, for some years later, I sometimes in my dreams think I'm still smoking. <laughs> it was a battle. It was a battle that could be won. I had to take up arms against it. I declared war on it. I stopped drinking coffee in order to win it. You, you fighting battles with faith? Or do you say, well, no, that's the way I am. I'm a bit of a gossip. My mother was too. <laughs> just made that way. <laughs> Tell me anything, it's just gone. I mean. <laughs> See, God wants to change you. God wants to pull you into his dimension. He wants, to, he wants to keep saving us so that when, see, so that, beloved, we're worth multiplying. That's what church planting is, that God's put together a community and, and to be honest, there's such life, there's such joy, there's such freedom, there's such integrity, there's such transparency. God says, I'd like another one of those. See, it's not worth multiplying something that's hard. Wow, we don't need another one of those. God wants people who are winning the battle of faith in all kinds of areas. We win the battle of faith. We expect God to be there. You take the battle. So he had fellowship with his armor bearer who said, do what's in your heart. And then, I love this, as they went forward, their kind of speculative approach changed to solid faith. They said, if they see us and they say, come up, We'll take it, that's it. If they say we'll come down to you, okay, we won't go. So they had a kind of Gideon's fleece, really. If they say come up, it's done, we've done it. That's amazing, it's wonderful, it's a faith trigger. And you have got stories in your own heart, your churches, you'll know times when we thought, no, if that happens, we're going to believe God. We're going to believe God. And that's what we need. We need to, we go to meet God. We take our perhaps into the battle. We don't sit at home saying, well, we don't really know. It's a bit difficult. Let's go. And they, see, faith is the substance of things you hope for. You're going down a path already. And what seemed like, yeah, well, who knows, maybe, 
it became solid faith. Jonathan says, hey, they're ours. We got them. Why? Well, God, we have this arrangement. If they, if they say come up, that's it. That's it. And so it became solid faith. And notice this in verse 12. The Lord has given them into my hands. No. The Lord's given them into our hands. No. The Lord's given them into the hands of Israel. I love that. I love that. It's not, hey, it's my victory. I did it. Can we have Jonathan written over this battle? No, Jonathan's very clear. It's the Lord's victory. It's the nation's victory. I love the note I'm hearing here all the time. Hey, we're Christ central, but we're part of New Frontiers. We're part of the church of the living God. We're not just trying to get a name for ourselves. We have genuine respect and affection for others. We love and trust. And hey, if we get a breakthrough, we've all got a breakthrough. That's got to be our attitude. It's when you lose that, when it's just our name. I got a victory. It's all about me. Then we've lost it, sadly. But Jonathan's got that very clear. Now he gave the victory to the hands of Israel. Amen. For God's people. Then it says, they slew 20. So two took out 20. That's pretty impressive. Then it says, a trembling and an earthquake. In other words, when they stepped into their faith ground, the supernatural activity of God was exponential. At first, two taking out 20 is amazing. But suddenly there's an earthquake. Wow, what's going on? God's for us. God's in this battle. There's things happening that are out of our league. There's things happening that we never expected. There's breakthrough we never anticipated. And we've got to believe for that, dear friends. That God will break through. God will do things. That's what we're seeing in places like Turkey. Where, hey, we're praying, we're working. And these people keep having dreams. And they keep coming. I've had a dream. I, 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 Jesus spoke to me. Wow, God's doing stuff we can't do. We're going to the edge. We're learning the language. We're learning the culture. We're laying down our lives. We say, Lord, we're here. We don't know how this is going to happen. He gives dreams. He gets people coming along. God honors faith and courage. He steps in. He does the part that we can't do. He confirms with signs and wonders. He does more than we can ever do. I remember I was down in South Wales and I was praying for people and just praying for the sick, going along the line. And, and there was a lady in a wheelchair there and I thought, oh gosh. And I'm trying to avoid the wheelchair. And uh, I thought, oh gosh. And I'm praying for other people. Eventually I come to the wheelchair and uh, I said, what would you like me to pray? And I prayed for her. And then I moved on to the next one. And then the next one, and then she stood up. I looked around. She'd been 21 years in this wheelchair. She stood up. And I thought, wow, she started walking around. And this was on the Saturday night. On the Sunday morning, I'm in the church there. And Andrew says to the church, he said, I expect some of you are wondering why Peggy is in the middle of the row this morning, not in her chair at the end. And people look around and say, so she is. Peggy, come up and tell us why. So Peggy gets up and walks to the front. And the first thing she said to Andrew Davis was, you're rather short, aren't you? <laughs> and then she testified. She testified. And she said, she said to me, when you preach, you looked at me. I didn't look at her. She said, no, you looked at me. And then she said, when you prayed, she said, Jesus said to me, get up. Jesus said to me, get up. I mean, I'm on to the next person because, well, that's out of my league. 
and she's up. And she wrote to me a few weeks later, she said, I've lost my disability pension. <laughs> God does more. God goes ahead. God does things we think are way beyond we could ever... If we will go to the edge, if we do what we can, we press through, suddenly God breaks through until there's internal fighting. They fight against one another. And the last thing I want to bring to you is this. It says in verses 21-22, the Israelites who had gone over to the other side and the Israelites who had been hiding in the caves came back. Now it's interesting that Jonathan did not go on a cave visiting ministry. Jonathan just said, no, we are the people of God. Let's go do what we're supposed to do. Let's be the church as she's meant to be. Let's be what we're meant to be. Let's be what we're meant to be. What you find is the people who thought, oh, nothing's happening here. I mean, Saul's not believing God anymore. The church is in disrepair. They stopped going. They even went over to the other side. They're hiding in their caves. When Jonathan becomes a true believer and is true to our calling and goes for it and sees some victory, what happens? The believers come out of their caves. Can we join you? Can we join you? I often see churches where churches got started and they got some people added and they sometimes say to me, not many converts yet, just some believe. Hey, that's wonderful when believers find you. I never despise it. It's one of the scripture promises. He will gather the scattered. And where there's faith and obedience and courage, the saints will say, now that's what I thought I saw signed on for. They recognize the authentic. They want to be part of the authentic. They rise to it. You don't have to visit caves. Do the will of God and people will find you. People will come to that anointing, that spirit of faith, that authentic church that's emerging. That's been our story for decades now, that people come and become part of what God has for us. So, in going from here, we're on our way, beloved. We're off into the rain, into your church plants, into your local church into all that there is for us. Some of us maybe got woken up last night on that Jonah word. Yeah, I was opting out. I was falling asleep. I wasn't in the conflict right now. that We come back into the conflict. Last night we said, here I am, Lord. I want to go according to your word. Well, here's the next hero we've looked at this morning. He really did go according to the word of God. He saw an amazing breakthrough. He saw what was just two guys, see, 20, and then breakthrough. Beloved, we've seen it in town after town after town. What started with a dozen, 20, 15, 30, 40. Now, what is it? 200, 300, 400. What was meeting in a little house? Now we're having to hire this. Now we're, having, now we're buying. Now we're building. Now we're, what's going on? We're pressing through in faith. And God wants us to go encourage God wants to expect great things from him. We're not on our own. Jonathan couldn't do that on his own. Keep a lookout for. Watch for. Expect God's intervention. Expect God will do something. That's what happened. God stepped in. God will do things. God will stand with you. God will manifest. He's faithful, faithful. We've been singing. He'll demonstrate it to you. He'll demonstrate it. When you hit problems, you don't throw in the towel. When, jo- when Saul hit problems, ah, close down. Jonathan said, no, I'm not like that. 
I'm going to seek God. I'm going to keep trusting God. Amen? Let's believe. Let's attempt great things. Let's get something of that missionary courage of those early pioneers. Let's say, yeah, we're true children of William Carey. We're true children of Hudson Taylor. That is really in our hearts. We're going to believe for breakthrough. Let's go on our way believing. Shall we stand to pray? Perhaps the band could come. Oh, they are. Good. We don't have time on this last day to walk to the front or anything like that. But we do have time just to draw near to God. Father, we we love to hear your call. We love it when we sense you, Lord, just seeing us in our weakness, our frailty. Lord, that you choose the weak things. You're not looking for impressive people. Lord, you're just looking for those who will believe you for who you are, who will trust you, who will, yes, take risk. Get out there where we can prove you faithful. Step out of the boat. Begin to break the bread and feed. Begin to see what what will God do. Father, I do pray in Jesus' name for a spirit of adventure to come upon us. A spirit of courage to let the wind fill our sail. To feel the energy of God kicking in. Father, we thank you. We thank you not only Jonathan saw this earthquake, but we think of Saul going into Philippi. So difficult. Suddenly, God. Suddenly, earthquake. Suddenly, church gets formed. Father, we just pray as we go our separate ways. Pray for our friends, Lord, who've come great distances, Lord, from Canada, from Zambia, Lord, from Scandinavia. People who've come in to be with us, part of us. Father, for ourselves, as we name these new cities, Spirit of God, come upon us, equip us, help us to make great choices, to put first the kingdom. Lord, be glorified. I pray, bless Jeremy and the team. Continue giving them courage, insight, prophetic revelation. Strengthen them wonderfully for every eldership team in this place every new church planting team. Come on them, Lord. Come on them, Father. Fill them with expectation. Let them attempt great things for God. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.